Salvation Now podcast, where you'll discover and be equipped with keys from the Word of God that will pave the way to God's unlimited blessing in your life. Now, here's your host, Evangelist T.J. Malkanji. Today is going to be a broadcast to share, especially if you have questions about what uh, the end times are going to look like. Who's the Antichrist? What is the mark of the beast? What is the period of the great tribulation? What does the Bible talk about when it's saying the fig tree will bud again? All of these questions I'm going to answer today. So if you would help me, please share this broadcast. Let's get this out to as many people as possible. I want to help people. I believe that God in this final time, in these last days is sounding an alarm and part of the ministry of the evangelist is to sound that alarm the bible says in joel chapter 2 sound an alarm call a fast proclaim a fast tell the people to wake up isaiah 60 says darkness will fill the earth deep darkness will cover the people but arise and shine Uh, ephesians paul says quoting the old testament arise O sleeper rise from the dead and christ will be seen on you so now's not a time to be playing spiritual slumber party now's the time to wake up now's the time to hear what the spirit is saying to the churches that the return of the lord is nigh the second coming of jesus christ is near and now like they you know what happened in the garden of gethsemane the disciples were sleeping when they should be praying the disciples were sleeping and resting when they should be working and what happened gethsemane came jesus got arrested and they didn't know what happened and you know Jesus goes to the cross, Acts chapter 2 comes, then the Holy Ghost and fire falls on the church, and then they stop sleeping. So this broadcast isn't going to awaken you to the signs of the times, but I believe a new fire, a fresh fire is going to come on you today, where you're not going to slumber and sleep, like the Bible says not to do, but to be sober and to walk as children of light in an adulterous, in a wicked generation. I believe in the name of Jesus from today's broadcast, a fervency, a holy zeal is going to come on you to run and not grow weary, to plug into the plan of God for your life so that when the master does come, he will not find you sleeping, he will not find you resting, he'll not find you idle, he'll find you working in the harvest field. I want you to turn with me to Luke chapter 21, Luke chapter 21. Please share this broadcast. Help me get this word out. You'd be a great help to me. And, um, and I'm sure it'll please God too. Luke 21 and verse 25. The Bible says, And there will be signs in the sun, in the moon, and in the stars, and on the earth distress of nations with perplexity, the sea and the waves roaring. So all these climate change activists that are uh, trying to prevent the world from collapsing or whatnot, trying to f- prevent climate change, and they're giving their lives to saving the lives of polar bears and extinct animals and or animals nearing extinction the bible says that in the last days there's gonna be natural disasters there's gonna be an influx an increase of um of climate disasters the bible says the seas roaring tsunamis the waves roaring and people will be perplexed as a result of it they're gonna scratch their heads man we didn't see this coming al gore can try all he wants to try and stop climate change but climate change is gonna happen first of all it's a natural thing secondly the bible says in the last days you know the bible says in romans 8 that even creation itself is is groaning and moaning awaiting the 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 um its release 
as it's been subjected to sin unwillingly, creation itself is waiting for the Messiah. And creation itself is understanding. It's amazing how the sea and the, the, the waves of the sea understand Jesus' return is nigh even more than Christians. It's amazing how nature itself has an understanding of the times, spiritual times, more than some Christians. You have Christians that are more intent, more purposeful in guaranteeing that their children are at ball practice Saturdays than they are in church Sunday mornings. And then they complain when their church their children don't want anything to do with the Lord. They complain and scratch their head, man, I brought my kids to church. Why? Because you prioritized everything else around around church. Church, uh, uh, sorry, you prioritized everything else instead of church. You prioritized their ball practice. You prioritized their ballet practice. You prioritized everything else in, um, instead of church attendance, instead of holiness. And, and as such, they've seen an example now that paves the path for their future. They've seen that church is not that important. Church is just a, a hobby kind of thing. Church is just something that we do if we have a free weekend. Whenever you, you had a weekend to get away and go to a cabin, that's what you did. Instead of making sure that you had your feet planted in the house of God, you, 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 uh, you lived undisciplined lives. And so the Bible says in the last days, people will be given to dissipation. Dissipation literally means the, uh, almost like a lukewarm, lukewarm indifference stance to the times. Dissipation means like holding the um, doctrine of the Bible, the return of Christ as some, you know, it'll happen when it happens. How many of you have heard that? Um, no man knows the day or the hour, so let's not talk about that. You know, there's people that totally ignore the book of Revelations. There's people that ignore the doctrine of the return of Christ all because of one verse. No man knows the day or the hour. Yes, we don't know the day or the hour, but Jesus said you will know the signs. You'll know the signs of the times. He didn't, you know, anything Jesus said in the bible he said any man who speaks an idle word will be condemned jesus wasn't going around giving idle words everything he said there's a purpose matter of fact one third of the bible is prophecy one third of the bible is prophecy relating to the second coming of jesus christ jesus uh, the bible talks more about the seven years preceding preceding the return of jesus christ than any other doctrine of the bible so we have to pay special attention. If we're, if we're going to stand strong, if we're not going to fall uh, victim to the temptation of the days, which Paul said, in the last days, many will depart from the faith. Why do you think many will depart from the faith? Peter said it. They'll scoff They'll scoff the message of the, of, of the second coming. They'll scoff at it. They'll say, ever since the beginning of the, the ages, they said that he'd return and look, he hasn't returned. Nothing's changed since the fathers went to sleep. So what, why should we, you know, why should we keep on following this Jesus? People, the Bible says in the last days, many will scoff at the truth saying, where is the promise of his coming? And as a result, they will depart from the faith. You can't depart from something unless you've been there first. So these, this is not talking about the world scoffing. This is talking about people in the church, Christians, even preachers. We hear, I've heard it, ministers and, and Christian leaders that they never even address this topic. Because, well, it's, there's uncertainties. You know, you get into the book of Revelation and you start dissecting everything there. You know, the, 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 the different creatures that are illustrated, the, 
the, the creature with like seven horns or whatnot. And it, it can be a complex thing. But within the book of Revelation and within the letters of Paul, there are very concrete doctrines referring to the second coming of Jesus Christ that we don't have to get into the weird, you know, um, uh, complex things that John might have seen while he was on the island of Patmos, but we can focus on the things we do know. And that's what I'm going to go through today. I'm going to go through what is the rapture? What is the great tribulation? What is the mark of the beast? What is the, the false? Who is the false prophet? Who is the antichrist? And what should we expect from him? Jesus, but before I get there, let me continue reading this. Now, when you see these things happen, look up and lift up your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And look at the fig tree and all the trees. When they are already budding, you see and know for yourselves that summer is near. So also, you too, when you see these things happening, when you see these things happening, well, no man knows the day or the hour. Jesus said, you don't know the day. You can't pinpoint an exact date and location and time and whatnot. But you, well, location you can. It's going to be the Mount of Olives. But when it comes to the time and the seasons, Jesus was not holding anything back. He was making it very clear what you're to look out for as you see the day of the Lord approaching. And he said, assuredly, I say to you, this generation that sees these things unfolding on the earth will not pass away until all things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. Verse 34, now he gives instructions. But take heed to yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with carousing, with drunkenness, with the cares of this life, and that day come on you unexpectedly. For it shall come as a snare on all those who dwell on the face of the earth. So watch therefore and pray all Always, that you may be counted worthy to escape these things that will come to pass and to stand before the Son of Man. Prophecy, when I preach on prophecy, when we talk about eschatology, the, the study of the end times, it is not to scare you, it is to prepare you. It is not to scare you. Prophecy is not to scare you, prophecy is to prepare you. If you do feel scared, then there might be some things you need to get right with God on. But prophecy is not to scare you, it's to prepare you so that you're ready when the when the skies, that eastern sky splits wide open and the Son of Man descends with the shadow of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ rise first we who are on the earth we can we can make sure we don't have to wonder whether we'll be caught up we don't have to wonder whether we'll be raptured we can know for sure for certain these things have been written so that you may know that you have everlasting life that you're righteous that when that's like, like Paul said we're eagerly awaiting the manifestation of Christ we're eagerly waiting for the revelation of Jesus Christ when he'll snatch us up from the earth and we'll stand before him in righteousness. So number one, as I move on, we, where are we on God's prophetic timeline? Number one, you have to understand that prophecies concerning his first coming, Christ's first coming, was fulfilled to the last dot and tittle. There was no prophecy, and I'm going to read it. Psalm 22, listen to this. Psalm 22 and another thing that I'll know is that prophecy is the only thing that separates this religion, Christianity, from any other uh, religion, any other religious textbook. 
Because no other religious textbook attempts to prophesy because they didn't know the times that were coming. They don't, they're not in the future, but we serve a God who knows the future better, better than we know the past. We serve a God who's in the past, who's in the present, and who's in the future. The Bible says he's the one who was, he's the one who is, and he's the one who is to come. The Bible says he's the eternal God, the only king eternal who dwells in inapproachable light. So God dwells in the future at the same time as him dwelling in the present at the same time of him dwelling he's not confined to time that's why he can move on holy prophets as they pen these things down like david as we're about to read penning down the the exact crucifixion the exact nature of the crucifixion of christ a thousand years before christ ever stepped on this earth and the it come into to pass exactly not like yeah it was kind of like that i guess we can pass that off no it was exactly fulfilled in its time listen to this psalm 22 my god my god why have you forsaken me well that if you're a student of the bible you can understand in the gospels when jesus was on that cross one of his sayings was eloi eloi lama sabachthani which means my god my god why have you forsaken me david is like by the spirit being caught up into that moment where christ was hanging on that cross and this is literally by the spirit david expressing the sentiments of Jesus Christ as he's on that cross. Listen to what he said. Why have you forsaken me? This is an amazing chap uh, psalm. It's as if David could feel the excruciating pain of Jesus. It's like David was tied, linked up to Christ on that cross as he penned these things down, as he penned these words down. My God, I cry in the daytime and you don't hear in the night season and I'm not, and I'm not, and I'm not silent. But you are holy, enthroned in the praises of Israel. Our fathers trusted in you. They trusted in you, and you delivered them. They cried out to you, and were delivered. They trusted in you, and were not ashamed. But I'm a worm, and no man, a reproach of men, despised by the people. All those who see me, Jesus talking, as he's on that cross, all those who see me ridicule me. They shoot out the lip. They shake their heads, saying, he trusted in the Lord. Let him rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. You remember, as people passed by, the Pharisees actually mocked Jesus and said, if you, if you uh, trusted in God, if you're the Messiah, if you're the Son of God, command angels to come and take you off that cross. But the reason why Jesus did, he could have easily have cried for angels, and angels would have come and taken him off that cross. But had he done that, the wrath of God would not have been satisfied. Justice would not have been paid our debt would still be in place and we'd be on our way to hell that's why jesus hung to that cross jesus not only went to the cross love didn't just propel him to the cross love kept him on that cross he stayed on that cross even as men whom he was dying for taunted him mocked him insulted him saying why not you're the son of god take yourself off that cross it was like the last attempt of the devil like the devil almost realized man i i had I known what this would do, I wouldn't have crucified him, but it was too late. Love not only drove him to that cross, love kept him on that cross. Love is the reason why he, drew, he dripped out and spilled every last drop of blood so that one day, through the knowledge of Christ, us, you, me, you watching, angels, Sarah, Sarai, uh, Diane, Christopher, Esther, that one day we can put our trust in that finished work and that the same blood that dripped down that wooden beam still has 
has power to this day to wipe away our sins so that we can come boldly before God without any sense of inferiority, any sense of condemnation, any sense of guilt, any sense of condemnation of our past, and we can approach Him no longer as God, but approach Him as our God and our Father. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. But you are he who took me out of, my, out of the womb. You made me trust while on my mother's breast. I was cast upon you from birth and from my mother's womb. You've been my God. Many bulls have surrounded me. He's talking about the people that surrounded him on Golgotha. Many bulls, strong bulls of Basham, they've encircled me. They gape at me with their mouths like raging and roaring lions. I'm poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart is like wax. It is melted within me. My strength is dried up like potsherds, and my tongue clings to my jaws. You have brought me to the dust of death. For dogs surrounded me, the congregation of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. I mean, you listen to that. They pierced my hands and my feet. Crucifixion was not the regular order of the day in David's day. It wasn't the, the way to... to, to um, to, um, it wasn't the death penalty in David's day. He was prophesying. First of all, it wasn't even the death penalty until like a hundred years before Christ. When I, I forget the history behind it, but that's when it was in, that's when it was introduced as a form of of torture and and um, and and a, as a death penalty. The Bible says David foresaw that that one day the Messiah would come and his hands and his feet would be pierced. So my question to you today, Isaiah 53, you can read it. He was pierced through for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquity. By his stripes we were healed. That was 780 years before Christ ever touched the earth. My question to you today is if God fulfilled literally everything pertaining to Christ in his first advent, don't you think we should pay special attention to the prophecies concerning his second advent and line our lives up in light of them Isaiah 41 listen to this this is what the Bible says concerning prophecy this is the reason this is the 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 uh, the purpose of prophecy in the Bible Isaiah 41 and beginning with verse 22 let them bring forth and show us what will happen that's what prophecy is prophecy is holy men of God moving uh, by the Holy Ghost, showing forth, telling things, defining times and seasons before they ever even happen. I said it before, that's what separates Christianity from every other religion. Buddha didn't give out prophecies. Muhammad did not give out prophecies. The only prophecies Muhammad gave out were actually in line with the Bible, that Jesus would return again, but the, he said that he'll return as a Muslim Messiah. But th there's nothing, he didn't come up with some new prophecy. And if you understand Islam, you understand the whole religion was birthed by an antichrist spirit. Because Jesus said, I am the last one. I, I have come. Anybody who comes after you and starts to change things around, know that that's a false prophet. Well, 600 years later, Muhammad comes out and starts changing things around. He starts reorganizing the house. And so... And if you actually study the life of Muhammad, he was in a cave when he received that revelation. And when he came back, he said it was the angel Michael that came and dropped into his spirit everything concerning uh, what to write in the Quran. Which, by the way, Michael is not a, a messenger angel. Michael is a, a warrior angel. There's not one time in the Bible where Michael came and gave instructions. Gabriel's the one that came and gave instructions. When, he, when Muhammad went back to his wife, if you study Islam, it actually says that he... He felt wrong about the vision. There was a dark presence in that vision. He didn't feel right. 
But his wife at the time encouraged him to follow it and to write it down. And so, you know, here we are 1,500 years later and you have a whole people that are deceived into that. But that's, not, that's another story. Let us bring forth and show us what will happen. Let them show forth the former things that were that we may consider them and know the latter end of them and declare to us things to come, showing the things that are to come hereafter that we may know that you are gods and that you do good and do evil, that we may be dismayed and see it all together. So show us the things that are here and the things hereafter. Number one, understand, you know, the odds of Jesus fulfilling every single prophecy concerning his first coming would be like you taking a, 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 a Canadian dollar, throwing it in randomly off an airplane into the state, the vicinity of the state of Texas, and then have a, another AC-130 just drop, thousands of AC-130s dropping hundreds of billions and trillions of quarters on the state of Texas so that the state of Texas is filled up to the knee with quarters. And in all of that, there's one Canadian loony that you have to go and look and look for and find it. The odds of Jesus fulfilling every single one of those prophecies that were prophesied in the Old Testament concerning his first coming, where he was born, where he would uh, sojourn for, for a couple of years in Egypt, having been raised in Nazareth. All of these prophecies fulfilled, the odds of that happening would be the odds of you swimming through all those quarters and finding that one, that one uh, loony, that one Canadian dollar. Be impossible, nearly impossible. Nearly impossible. Pretty much impossible. I wouldn't bet again. I wouldn't bet on it, is what I'm saying. Number one, understand that every prophecy concerning Christ's first coming was fulfilled exactly. Number two, the rapture of the church. So I entitled this, where are we on God's end time uh, prophetic timeline? The rapture of the church is the next major event that must be fulfilled. I want you to turn with me to Matthew chapter 24. Matthew chapter 24. And the Bible says... In verse, 20, uh, verse 32, Jesus telling his disciples, Now learn this parable from the fig tree. When its branch has already become tender and puts forth leaves, you know that summer is near. So you also, when you see all these things, know that it is near, even at the doors. Assuredly, I say to you, this generation, this generation, what generation? The one that sees the fig tree but again will by no means pass away till all these things take place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will by no means pass away. If you study any theology book, Catholic, Presbyterian, Pentecostal, whatever, all of them agree that when Jesus referred to the fig tree in this instance, he was referring to the physical nation of Israel. Jesus prophesied at the beginning of Matthew 24 that Israel will be annihilated in this not annihilated but it will be destroyed that jerusalem will be run down and uh, that was a prophecy that was fulfilled literally in the year 70 a.d when the emperor of rome invaded jerusalem and tore down the walls of the temple and burnt not one stone was left upon another and burnt down burnt the stones so that the gold of, that were in the crevices, crevices of the stones would be poured out and they actually brought that gold back to Rome and it's still in Rome to this day. Jesus said, 
After that happens, when you see the fig tree, but again, for 2,000 years, Israel was not a nation. But the supernatural part of it is that though Israel was not a nation, the Jewish people have been preserved. That in itself is enough for me to look at the Bible and see there's something, there's something on this Bible. This ain't a, nor, a natural book. Because for a nation, for a culture, for a language to be preserved for a hundred years, I mean, you look at it in my family. My great-grandparents were from Italy on both sides. My grandparents... On one side, we're also born in Italy. My other set of grandparents were born in Montreal. My parents, my father was born in France. My mother was born in Montreal. I was born in Montreal, Quebec. Now, we're just like, you know, that's like, what, 150 years span from my great-grandparents to now, 100, 120, since they've been alive, 100 years. In 100 years, I don't speak Italian I don't know, I know a little bit of, of Italian culture because my family has kind of maintained it, but not my kid, Judah. My wife is Portuguese, uh, Brazilian. She's Brazilian, she speaks Portuguese. Her mother was born in Brazil. She was born in Boston. My kid is most likely gonna grow up not speaking much Portuguese, not speaking much Italian, not speaking much French, just speaking English. The culture has watered down to the point where now we're, we're assimilated to North American culture. All of that washed away in less than 100 years. Now you think of it. The Jewish people were scattered abroad in the hundreds of nations of the earth. And for 2,000 years, their culture's been preserved. Their religion's been preser preserved. Their, their synagogues, they still meet on the Sabbath. Their, their uh, language has been preserved. The Hebrew dialect, the Hebrew language has been preserved for 2,000 years. That in itself is enough to look at the Bible and realize that it's, it's, it, it's supernatural. And then Jesus said, when you see Israel born again, again, as, a, born again as a nation, which happened when? Our, my my uh, grandparents were alive when that happened. That's, that's a major prophetic event that was fulfilled in our, you know, within the last hundred years. May 14th, 1948, Israel was born again as a nation. From 70 AD, the flag of Israel did not fly over Jerusalem until 1948. When they gave that, whole, that land that was given to Abraham, by the way, and it's not even the fullness of the land, that land was given, handed back over to the nation of Israel uh, after World War II. That was literally fulfilled in 1948. Jesus said the generation that has seen that happen that generation will not pass away until everything else that we're about to go through is fulfilled. So, when Jesus talks about Matthew 24, the signs of the times, he's talking about the signs that will um, show people that the return, the second coming of Jesus Christ is near. I want to make a distinction. There is a difference between the rapture of the church and the second coming of Jesus Christ. The second coming, I'm going to make it very simple for you. The rapture of the church is Jesus coming for his church. But Jesus' feet do not touch the ground. The second coming is Jesus coming with his church, where his feet, in Zechariah 10, it describes it, his feet will descend upon the Mount of Olives, and the Mount of Olives will be cracked in two, one part going to the left, the other to the right, and a valley shall be seen in it. 
That's a literal thing that's going to happen. I want to read something to you. Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1. Verse 4, and being assembled together with them, he commanded them not to depart from Jerusalem, but to wait for the promise of the Father, which he said, you have heard from me, John truly baptized with water unto repentance, but you shall be, you shall be baptized with the Holy Ghost not many days from now. And they asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel or to Israel? And Jesus said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the seasons which the Father has put in his own authority, but you shall receive power when the Holy Ghost comes on you and you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem in all Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. Verse nine, now when he had spoken these things, while they watched, he was taken up and a cloud received him out of their sight. While they looked steadfastly towards heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by him, uh, by them, the disciples in white apparel and said to them, men of Galilee, why are you standing here gazing up into heaven? The same Jesus who was taken up from you into heaven will so come, will so come. Very important words. He's not coming spiritually. You know, there's a lot of people that believe we're already in the millennial reign of Christ because Jesus came spiritually in Acts chapter 2 in the Holy Ghost. That's not what he's saying. The angels announced that the same Jesus that was taken up from you from the Mount of Olives will so come onto the Mount of Olives as you have seen him go. He will physically descend upon, him, upon the Mount of Olives. I like to picture it this way. Jesus is now at the right hand of the Father and, and uh, he's seated right by his throne. And God is waiting, being patient towards mankind, not willing that any should perish, but all come to, the re to repentance and the knowledge of the truth. But the day's going to come where the Father is going to take his right hand and put it on Jesus' shoulder and say, it's time. And he's going to shot himself with the armor that the Bible says he's going to come back with. And when he does, the Bible says the first time he comes, he's not going to touch the earth. That's where people get confused. They say, well, isn't that the second coming if he's coming? No, the second coming is not referring to his coming in the air. It's referring to his coming on the earth. The first time he returns in the air. To, the Bible said, let me read this. Philippians chapter, 1 uh, Thessalonians, sorry, chapter 4. This is important. Why am I talking about Bible prophecy in the end times? Because if you're not careful, you're going to get lulled into sleep and be like the unfaithful lazy servant who heard that his master was delaying his coming. So he began to beat his servants. He began to drink, eat, be merry, gave himself to no spiritual discipline. And as a result, the master came on a day when he was not expecting it and at an hour that he was not aware of. And the master said, take this lazy, unprofitable servant and cut him in two and appoint his body with the unbelievers. It's very dangerous to live a lukewarm life given the season that we're in. It's very dangerous to live an apathetic, indifferent life right now given the season that we're in. It's very dangerous dangerous to buy into North American Christianity where we fold our hands, we come into church casually on Sunday morning, we listen to ca uh, the songs casually, we chew gum casually, have our hands folded casually. There's no fire in the pulpit and as a result, there's dead people in the pews. So that's why I feel very strongly in my spirit to urge you now's not a time to sleep as others sleep but to awake to put on the armor of God so that you will be found working when the master comes again 
And that'll be your story in Jesus' name. You will not be lulled to sleep. You will not be uh, apathetic. You will not carry an indifferent attitude towards this world, towards what's going on in this generation. A fire is being ignited in your spirit. You will run and not grow weary. You will walk and not not stumble you will not be found idle standing by but god will see your hand put to the plow not looking in another direction like jesus said he that comes to me will lose his life but when he does that he'll find my life you've lost this life like paul i pray that a fire would come on you as he said in acts 20 24 that i'm I, 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 this life i don't account this life as anything dear to myself we're not holding on to this world we're not holding on to this life the bible says in a moment in a twinkling of an eye that we'll be caught up and the bible says everything since everything we see all this physical all this material substance will be burnt up what manner of lives ought we to live in holiness and godly conduct eagerly awaiting the manifestation of jesus christ Hallelujah. The early church was on the go because they weren't sitting on their blessed assurance. Oh, well, Jesus said he'd come back. We don't know when he'll come, so let's just be raptured. The early church was on the go because they had an expectation of the return of Christ. They thought he was going to come in their generation. They didn't understand that he was going for a long while. They didn't understand that his patience was actually going to stretch things in so more people can have opportunity to be saved. They thought he was coming right now. So what did they do? They didn't sit down. They obeyed what Jesus said. Go ye therefore. They weren't tied to the possessions of this world. You know why covetousness is rampant in the church where people are so obsessed with money and prosperity and all that? I'm not against prosperity. I love. I, I, the Lord delights in the prosperity of his servants. I'm all about prosperity. I choose prosperity over poverty every day of the week. But I'm not tied. I don't have riches in my heart. I use riches in my hand to get the gospel out because I'm not living for this world. This world will be consumed he destroyed it the first time by water he's going to destroy it the second time by fire that's why i have my eyes gazed on eternity the bible says that we look not on the temporal things which are here today and gone tomorrow but we look on the things which are unseen the kingdom of heaven that is an eternal kingdom that one day we will all appear before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account for the things that we've done in the flesh if you think that well you know i'm saved so when I get to heaven, I'll hear well done. Not every servant's going to hear well done. There's some people that are going to say, Lord, Lord. And he's going to say, depart from you. You never did my will. Not everyone who says, Lord, Lord, will enter in the kingdom of God. But only those who are tied to my will. No wonder Paul said that I might know him. That all of the things that were gained to me in religion, I count it as rubbish. I count it as, as, as nonsense. I count it as trash in comparison to knowing God. And this one thing I do... I forget those things which are behind. I forget those things that I used to have. I'm not tied to my home. I'm not tied to my car. I'm not tied to my earthly possessions. Like Jesus said, that we are to what? Store up treasure in heaven where moth and rust does not destroy and thieves don't break in and steal. Paul said, this one thing I do, I'm pressing towards the goal. I'm pouring out my life as a drink offering to God. Hallelujah. Though none go with me, still I'm going to follow because I don't fear man who can destroy body i fear god who destroys both body and soul in hell hallelujah hallelujah 
1 Thessalonians chapter 4 and verse 13. But I don't want you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning those who have fallen asleep, lest you sorrow as others who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so God will bring with him those who sleep in Jesus. For this we say to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will by, name, by no means precede those who are asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet of God and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And thus shall we be with, him all, be with the Lord always. Therefore comfort one another with these words. The Bible, you know, people saw, always say, well, there's no word for rapture in the Bible, so I don't believe in a rapture. Hey, genius, the Bible wasn't written in English. The Bible was written in Greek and Hebrew. And the Greek word for rapture is harpazo. That's the word Paul uses here. It's the forceful extraction. That's what it literally means. A forceful extraction, a catching away, a snatching up. And it's so quick. Isaiah said it yesterday on his broadcast. I, I listened. A powerful broadcast. He said that the word for... Um, one of the words Paul uses in this passage is a, 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 atom, atomitos or something like that, which is the word we get from atom, atomic. That it's going to be such a short amount of time, that, that snatching up, that extraction. It's not going to be us like you've seen, like uh, slowly just gravity losing hold on us. And we're just you know, lifting up and everybody's looking, oh my gosh, there's a halo around them and there's a light, like a UFO kind of bright light shining around them as the Christians are going up in glory. No, that's not how it's going to be. It's going to be a, a, a time, the time that it takes for us, to, like the Bible says in the twinkling of an eye, that time it takes for us to be snatched up will be atomic in size, meaning such a small amount of time, uh, barely noticeable. It'd be like the blinking of an eye, the Bible says, the twinkling of an eye. The Bible says that this is the next event that God has on his time clock. Now, why do we know that? Because if you see the signs for Christmas in stores and on Instagram or whatnot, that Christmas sales are coming, how much closer is Thanksgiving? So if Jesus says that before I return, my second coming where my feet will hit the earth, there will be wars, rumors of wars, there will be trying times. The Bible says that there will be pestilence, sicknesses, viruses that will, I mean, look at in the last 20 years, started off with uh, SARS. I don't know if you remember in 2002, they had SARS. Then there was uh, Ebola 1. And then after later on, there was H1N1. Then there was H2N2. Then there was Ebola again, Ebola 2. Then there was Zika. And then now we're seeing, you know, the greatest push of, uh, or the greatest display of what Jesus said would come on the earth with, with COVID. You know, you have people I don't know how many people died of COVID, but that's one of the end time, part of the end time drama. But understand something. Jesus was saying that those things will precede my second coming, but seven years prior to that second coming, I'm going to come from my church. Why do I believe that? Because the um, seven years between the rapture and the second coming is the period called the Great Tribulation. And the Great Tribulation is the period where God is going to pour out His judgment and vials of wrath on the earth. 
Now, there's several reasons why I don't believe, don't believe the church is going to be there during that time. And I'll give you the strongest points. Number one, because it is the point out of God's wrath, and the Bible says we have been saved from wrath and obtained salvation through Jesus Christ. The Bible says by his blood we have been preserved of the wrath of God. The Bible says that rejoice, O you who dwell in the heavens, and you that are dwelling on the earth, be scared, be very afraid, because the devil has come down to you having great wrath. We have been spared from wrath. The Bible says we've come out of judgment into life. So if we've been spared from wrath, and the Bible says the seven years of great tribulation are the days of God pouring out his indignation on the earth, where he's judging the world of the ungodly. As a matter of fact, there's a scripture there's a scripture in Revelation 14 that says this. Listen to this. Revelation 14 and verses 9 through 11. This is part of, of, uh, of what's going to happen in the Great Tribulation. Then a third angel followed them shouting, Anyone who worships the beast in his statue or accepts his mark on the forehead or on his hand must drink the wine of God's anger. It's been poured out full strength into the cup of God's wrath or into God's cup of wrath, and they will be tormented with fire. Does that sound, does that sound like something a good God would do to his own children? Proverbs says you should not punish the righteous, nor should you strike people for their uprightness. God's not going to punish his church. He has spared us from that punishment. That's why the Bible says in 2 Thessalonians chapter 1, listen to this. We're bound to thank God always for you, brethren, as it is fit and fitting for you because your faith grows exceedingly and the love of every one of you all abounds to one another so that we ourselves are uh, boasting of you amongst the churches of God for your patience and faith in all your persecutions and tribulations that you endure which is manifest evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be counted worthy of the kingdom of God for which you also suffer verse 6 since it is a righteous thing with God to repay with tribulation to repay what, what? Tribulation, those who trouble you, and to give you who are troubled rest when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. So the tribulation is going to come after the church gets their rest when the Lord Jesus is revealed in heaven. Remember, we're going to be caught up together with him in the clouds. And then in flaming fire, God will take vengeance on those who did not know God and those who did not obey the gospel of God, and they'll be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord. Number one, we've been spared of wrath. Number two, we have the character of God that is um, painted for us, a very, the nature of God is, is, is very evidently painted for us in the Bible. You look at it in Genesis chapter 18. God said, I'm going to destroy Sodom. Abraham comes, intercedes for the city. Surely you will not destroy the righteous with the with the wicked. And God said, I won't. And then he contended for 50. There weren't 50 righteous. He contended for 30. There weren't 30, 20, 10. There wasn't even 10. There was only one righteous person. And even one righteous person, Lot. Even though there was only one, God still spared Lot from the destruction, from the hailstones and brimstone, fire and brimstone that was going to fall on that city. He took Lot out before judgment fell. It's like a picture of the rapture. Then you look at in Noah's day. What happened for, with Noah? He announced a flood. God said, there's going to be a flood. And you want to understand the patience of God towards mankind? Noah's great-grandfather was Enoch. 
Enoch was a prophet that walked with God. Enoch named his son Methuselah. Methuselah had another son called Lamech, and Lamech had Noah. So Noah's grandfather was Methuselah. This is really interesting. Pay attention to this. Methuselah is like a long, weird name because it's not even a real name. It actually just means uh, when it happens. Wait, what does it mean again? Hold on. Yeah, when, when he dies, it shall happen. When he dies, it will come. That's what the word Methuselah means. When he dies, it will come. So Enoch, the prophet that walked with God and was not because he was taken, prophesied indirectly by naming his own child Methuselah. When he dies, it shall come. Methuselah, interesting to know, is the, um, the, the man who lived the longest in all the Bible. I think he lived 969 years. Nobody outlived Methuselah. Not, Ab not Adam, not uh, Eve, not Seth, certainly not Abel, unfortunately. Not Cain, not anybody. Nobody lived a longer life than Methuselah. When Methuselah died... History, ancient history actually shows that it was within seven days after Methuselah died that the flood came and Noah was rescued from the flood by building the ark. So that shows you the long suffering of God. That he waited as long as he could, was merciful to that generation, waiting for them to repent. Waiting for them that if, they didn't re that, that if others didn't repent and he was still going to flood the earth, at least get into the ark. And, uh, you know, you know the story. The only one that was saved was Noah. But understand, when the flood came, which was God's judgment of the earth in that day, Noah was preserved. He was lifted up. You look at Israel in Egypt. Israel went through the Red Sea. And then the Red Sea, the judgment of God swallowed up Egypt, which is a type of the world. So it's in God's character. It's his nature. It's, we have ancient documented history that shows us that God will not reign on the godly, the whirlwind that is reserved for the ungodly. So number two is the rapture of the church is the next event on God's time clock, which is a signless rapture, by the way. There's no announcement. The Bible says as lightning, fla la lightning flashes from the east to the west, so shall the rapture take place. There'll just be a sudden event where millions of millions and hundreds of millions of people are suddenly going to disappear, taken off the face of the earth. Could you imagine what that's going to do to the world? Airplanes, the pilot, just pray. I mean, I pray that none of you will be there. But... Uh, it's almost like I feel like adding that to my prayer list. Lord, those who are still there during the after the rapture, give them a, like an unsaved pilot so that they don't crash and die. But pilots are going to be snatched up. Driving, you're going to be on, on the road. All of a sudden, you're taken up. Your car is not going to slow down. Run right through traffic. Then you look at all of a sudden, millions of people are no longer working. What do you think that's going to do for the, the economy? What do you think that's going to do 
for the financial state of nations. Everything's going to collapse. That's why there's going to be a figure called Antichrist. Now, his name is not John F. Antichrist. He's not going to come up and say, hi, I'm Mr. Antichrist. Nice to meet you. Antichrist is his name spiritually, but he'll have a real name. He'll have a personal name, whatever his name. Some people, you know, you have all kinds of people coming out. Oh, is his name, is Emmanuel Macron, the French president, the Antichrist? I'm not going to go in labeling who's the Antichrist. Was Donald Trump the Antichrist? No, Donald Trump's not the Antichrist. Is Joe Biden the Antichrist? No, Joe Biden's not the Antichrist. First of all, Joe Biden is too old to even fulfill the role of the Antichrist. Uh, anyways, I won't get into that. But I, I wouldn't get caught up into trying to identify who's going to be the, like, which person. First of all, it'd be very offensive if the guy's not even the Antichrist and you go around calling him Antichrist. And they thought it was Emmanuel Macron because Emmanuel means God with us. And, you know, the Antichrist, if you understand what, he's, what his mission is, he's Antichrist. So, number one, he's going to be against Christ. And remember, 1 John 4, let me read this. So he's going to be against Christ in that anything Christ stands for, the Antichrist is going to stand against. 1 John chapter 4. Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God. Because many false prophets have gone out into the world. By this you will know the spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is not of God. And this is the spirit of the Antichrist. So the Antichrist is a spirit. He was alive in the days of Jesus. He was alive before Jesus. He was alive in the early church, as you can see. Matter of fact, John goes on to say, which you have heard was coming and is now already in the world. And then you move on. Uh, you move on in the epistle and he says that there are many Antichrists. There are many Antichrists. So the spirit of Antichrist will stand against Christ. That's pretty self-explanatory uh, in the name. But also, the spirit of Antichrist, when the Antichrist rises, he will try to replace the role of Christ, the role of the Messiah, the role of a Savior. He'll not only be against Christ, against holiness, against righteousness, he will try to replace Christ so that the world would no longer see Christ as needed. That's explained in 2 Thessalonians. Let's read that. I'm going to read a lot of scriptures. 2 Thessalonians. Shireen says many antichrists. Yes, there, there are many antichrist spirits. They are not the chief antichrist. Capital A. But there are many antichrist. Demons are antichrist spirits. All demons are antichrist in a sense. They are not the antichrist. The antichrist will rise as a political figure. He will rise as one who, when the rapture happens and total chaos sweeps this world, he will rise as someone who's going to try and bring order. And the thing is, is he will actually bring order for three and a half years. He will bring order. He's going to regulate the economy. How is he going to do that? He's going to introduce a one world economy. The Bible says in Revelations 3, uh, Revelations 13, he'll bring in the mark of the beast, a mark that you, will, you must accept. When that happens, that mark is going to give people the legal right to buy and to sell on the earth, meaning he's going to regulate the economies of the world. He's going to bring one world financial system. He's going to try and regulate things. Um, 
And, you know, I'll get into the mark of the beast right now, but the mark of the beast, I'm not going to pinpoint, is it, is it a, a chip? Is it an RFID chip? Is it a barcode? Is it this? Let me tell you, first and foremost, it is not the vaccine. The mark of the beast is not the vaccine. If you're a Christian and you know another Christian that got the mark of the, uh, the, the vaccine, he did not get the mark of the beast. He's not going to hell. The mark of the beast is going to be a stamp that, or is going to be something that's given on the right hand or on the forehead during the time of tribulation that will be um, given to people who willfully deny Christ. They will have to consciously deny Christ. They will have to consciously reject Christ. And those that do not receive the mark of the beast will be beheaded. And that mark is going to give people the ability to buy, to sell, and to live on the earth during those, you know, the rest of the seven years. So the mark of the beast, I want to, I want to say first and foremost, the first time in history, the technology that is needed to set that system up is on the earth today. Never before could they have done that. I mean, you think of it. The Bible says in that day, during the tribulation, nobody will be able to hide. I mean, before satellites, people could hide. You can go buy a horse and live in the mountains someplace and nobody would ever bother you. But now, because of modern science, which Daniel 12 says, in the last days, knowledge will increase. That's one of the signs of the times, an increase of knowledge, an increase of technology, advancements such as has never been, and a rapid advancement to it, that. You look at the last 200 years, there's more technolo technological advancement that's occurred in the last 200 years than in all of history combined. For goodness sakes, people were still using chariots and horses up until the year, the, the 1900s. Now, I can get from Montreal to London in less than an hour. They have super jets that can do that, that they're working on. And even if I just use a regular Boeing jet, I can get there in like five hours. I can travel if, you know, I can travel if I didn't have to go through commercial airlines, if I just had a private jet or something. I can travel if I, I, if I wanted to schedule new every, uh, every night a new meeting in different parts of the United States and sometimes in parts of the world. I can, I can actually keep up with that schedule. Whereas back in the day, it's like if Paul was saying, I'm going to, I'm going to Ephesus, well, he had to pack and travel. For, he had to pack up for his long, you know, long journey there. And then he wasn't going there for three days. He wasn't going there for a Sunday through Wednesday meeting. He was there for, you know, he stayed in, in Ephesus for over two years. He dwelt in Asia. Then when he made his way to Rome, he, he just packed, he just camped there. He stayed there the rest of his life till he was beheaded. It's not like today. Imagine what type of ministry Paul would have had if he lived today with the zeal that the guy carried. He'd be able to preach in Australia one day, then two days later, because it's a long tri trip, he'd be able to, to, to preach in, uh, in, in America and then go to South America, do a crusade there. He, I mean, he'd cover the whole earth. That's why I don't want to get to heaven and have to sit down with Paul and have him list out all the accomplishments he did by the anointing of God and then me say, well, you know, covid hit during that time and you know travel was really hard we had to get tested to go to an airport so you know i just did broadcast during that time that's why we're doing this usa trip because i know that time is short 
And the Bible says that we're all going to have to give an account to God for what he's given us. God has dis- delivered this glorious gospel to me. I'm, I've been entrusted with this ministry. I'm not going to sit doing broadcasts. I love doing these broadcasts. But there's people that need to hear this gospel that won't stumble on this broadcast. And so I've made it. A, we're doing two months, two and a half months of preaching throughout the United States where we're going to see people saved, people healed, people delivered. That's why I'm pushing to grow this ministry. It's not so that my name is a household name. It's not so that more people would see TJ. It's so that I can, I must work while it is yet day for night comes when no man can work. Time is going to end. The last grains of sand are trickling through the hourglass of time. We must work. I must do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his purpose. The harvest is great. The laborers are few. So we're putting our hand to the plows to work these harvest fields. So that when I come before Christ, I don't have to shrivel back and say, man, I should have done this. No, I want to be one of those that stands before God and says, everything you gave me to do by your grace and by your power and by your anointing alone, I was able to get it done. I, I, I didn't miss anything that you called me to do. You know, you can live like that where you don't miss anything God's called you to do. You don't have to be one who's building in wood, hay, and straw. The Bible says the fire in the day of judgment will test what kind of work you've produced. And there'll be many. Why do you think Jesus said in Revelations, I'll wipe away everyone's tears? It's because there's going to be so many Christians that gave their time to such useless things that when they see, man, I built that business. That business, unless you're tying your finances into the gospel, is no good. And the Bible says, many men's works will be burnt up, yet they will be saved, but not through fire. And then Jesus said, I'll wipe away everyone's tears. I don't want to, I want to be one who's building gold. I want to be one who's building in silver and in precious stones. Then when the fire tests the work, it's found standing. And the Bible says, that man shall receive a reward. There's a reward in heaven. We're not working to receive a... <coughs> Some empty thing. We're working. We're laboring diligently. Because like Paul said, in the future there's laid up for me a crown of righteousness. Hallelujah. So who is the Antichrist? The Antichrist is going to be a political figure that's going to unite. The Bible says ten kingdoms will come under him. He'll have several distinctive... uh, missions number one he'll have a one world economy we covered that number two he'll have a one world government so understand second thessalonians chapter two listen to this now brethren concerning the coming of our lord jesus christ and our gathering together to him we ask you not to be soon shaken in mind or troubled either by spirit or by word or by letter as if from us as though the day of christ had already come So why do you think Paul had to tell the Thessalonian, side note here, why do you think Paul had to tell the Thessalonian church that you shouldn't be troubled as if Jesus had already returned? Because Paul, if you study 1 Thessalonians 4, what we just read, he said it's going to be, the saints are going to be caught up in the air. He said the second coming, the the rapture of the church is going to happen and the dead in Christ will rise and the saints who are still alive will be caught up. So now... He writes another letter to the, to the Thessalonians and he says, hey, hey, I know some people have already telling you that and they're shaking your spirit. They're troubling your mind saying that the rapture already happened. But I'm here because if it was just the second coming, everyone would. The Bible says all the earth will see his coming. 
Revelation 1, and every eye shall see him. So if, it, if there were no rapture, he wouldn't have to tell the Thessalonian church that uh, don't be soon shaken in mind as though the day of the Lord has already come. As though the day of Christ had already come. Because obviously Paul preached that there's going to be a signless uh, snatching away of the church. And then the tribulation. So people were going around. The, the rapture's already happened. So they were freaking out. Man, we were left behind. Let no one deceive you by any means. For that day will not come unless the falling away comes first. And the man of sin is revealed. The son of perdition. So that word, I need to make a, a clear note of this. That word falling away, if you actually study it, it's not talking about the, uh, the falling away as listed out in Paul's letter to Timothy when he says in the last days many will depart from the church. That word for falling away coming first is actually the word for the departure. And he's not, see when Paul used it in writing to Timothy, many will depart from the faith. He said apostia pistis, many will depart from the faith. He made it very clear that it's the falling away from the faith. In here, He's just talking about the departure because apostia has several meanings where we get the word apostasy. It doesn't just mean the apostasy as in like, you know, the one sense of the word that we know, which is uh, people leaving the faith, people being reprobates and, and totally leaving, uh, recanting their faith in Christ. Apostia had several meanings, meaning departure or the catching up. So, sorry, not catching up. It meant a departure. So the Bible says that day will not come unless... The departure comes first. What departure? The departure of the saints of God on the earth when they ca they're caught away and meet the Lord in the air. And the man of sin will be revealed after that. The son of perdition, who opposes and exalts himself above all that is called God or that is worship, and he will sit as God in the temple of God, showing that he himself is God. So number one, there will be a one world government, a, one, a unified government. Number two, there will be, oh, uh, sorry, one, number one was one world economy. Number two is a one world government. Number three is there'll be a one world religion. You know that push that you're seeing for coexisting? And even the Pope recently said that um, in the coming years, it's going to be impossible to try and unite people without having unity in our faith. And so he's actually called for a one world faith. That's why for the first time ever, the Vatican has allowed Muslims to come and pray. They allowed a Jewish rabbi to come and play, pray in uh, one of his Sunday mass. In the first time since the inception of the, of the Catholic Church, all of a sudden you have this guy coming up and let, calling for a, a unity in our faith, a coex, not just coexisting, a, a conglomeration of them all. Jesus said, I mean, Paul said that's going to be something that the Antichrist is going to establish fervently when he rises. But you see, the Antichrist is, in, is behind the scenes now. The Antichrist is work. The Bible says he's the man of lawlessness and the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. He's trying to push for these things now. But listen to this. And now you know that what is restraining, that he may be revealed in his own time. For the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. That's why you're seeing a push for a one world government. That's why you're seeing a push for a one world currency right now. They're trying to get, the, get rid of the dollar. They're trying to co collapse the dollar, the US dollar. 
so that it can come under this one world currency. They're trying to collapse every currency of the earth. Look at what happened in Zimbabwe. That was intentional. To weaken nations' economy so that they can come under one world economy. The mystery of lawlessness is already work in, in religious circles. You're seeing a push where it's like a buffet religion. Just pick and choose. If you like a little bit of Buddhism, go, that's what you call New Age, right? The New Age spiritualism. It's just pick and choose. Well, I like the sayings of Christ here, I also, but I don't like what he said here, but I, I like what uh, Buddha said about this, and, but I really, I really like the words of Confucius on this, so I'm just going to make and fashion my own religion. The Antichrist spirit is what's pushing for that, for that specific, that, that, that thing to take place. The lawless one will... So the mystery of lawlessness is already at work. Only he who now restrains will do so until he is taken out of the way. Who is the he? Some have said it's, it's government laws, but that's not, that's not the case because never does the Bible use personification for government laws. So it's not talking about government laws that all of a sudden when, um, when people no longer regard law, then all of a sudden this lawlessness is going to... No, that's not what it's saying. It's saying that and then other people say that it's um, the Holy Spirit. So some people say it's government. Other people say it's the Holy Spirit. It's not the Holy Spirit being taken away. Because if the Holy Spirit were removed from the earth, he would cease to be God because God is omni uh, omnipresent. He's everywhere at all times. And the Bible says during that tribulation, the great tribulation, there's people that are going to be coming to the Lord because of those 144,000 Jewish evangelists, those witnesses that will be sent forth. And no man can come to the Lord unless the Spirit of God draws him because the Spirit convicts of sin, of righteousness, and of judgment. So if the Spirit, if the He in 2 Thessalonians 2, 8, or 2, uh, 7 is talking about the Holy Spirit, then nobody would be able to get saved during the great tribulation. And like I said before, he's omnipresent. He cannot be taken away. He's been brooding over the surface of the waters in Genesis 1. He was there at the, con the, the conception of Jesus in Mary's womb. He was there in Acts chapter 2. And he's not going anytime soon. The Holy Spirit is all present. Even David said, where can I flee from your presence? If I make my bed in hell, even there you're there. Where can I go from your spirit? If I take the morning wings and go out into the uttermost depths of the sea, if I take a boat out into the middle of the Pacific Ocean, even there your hand, your hand shall lead me. So who is the he? The he, the Bible is referring to here, is the spirit-filled church. We, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, are the restraining force holding back this antichrist system and agenda from establishing itself on the earth today. That's how you have to see yourself. And people who don't understand dominion don't, can never understand this. People that don't understand the dominion of the believer, most of the time believe in a post-tribulation rapture. If if the rapture happened after the, the tribulation, as a spirit-filled believer, which the Bible says, greater is he that lives in me than he that is in the world, I could go wherever the Antichrist is, find his sorry behind, cast that devil out of him, and then set things back. If the spirit-filled church was still on the earth, the Antichrist would not be able to move an inch because remember, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. That's why until we go out, 
until we're caught up. That system, so all of you worrying about, is this all going to happen? No, that system will not take root on the earth until we, who are the salt of the earth, are taken off the earth. You ever notice that? Jesus said, you're the salt of the earth. When salt is, is taken away, some, uh, the thing just rots. If you don't add salt to me, it will rot. It'll rot quickly. When the salt, the church of Christ, is removed from the earth, it's not going to take but seven years for the whole thing to rot. So if you think, as a side note today, if you think your presence is not felt in the kingdom of hell, you don't understand your, your dominion as a believer. The Bible says, I will give you power over unclean spirits to cast them out and over all the power of the devil. The Antichrist, there's like an unholy trinity in hell. In hell, There's a holy trinity in heaven, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. There's an unholy trinity in hell. There is... The, the, the devil, there is the Antichrist, and there's the false prophet. If the Bible says we will triumph over all the power of the devil and nothing shall by any means harm us, then how much easier do you suppose it's going to be for us to deal with the Antichrist? If his master is under our feet, then everything else is under our feet. That's why we're not called to live out these last few hours of time just sitting back. Holding church services so we can have little revival meetings that never break out of the four walls of the church. Now's the time to do crusades. Now's the time to have the greatest push for evangelism since the beginning of the church in Acts chapter 2. Now's the time to not consider our life as any account dear to ourselves so that we can finish our course with joy and solemnly testify of this gospel of grace. Now's not the time to be ashamed of the gospel. Now's the time to what we hear in the house to proclaim it on the rooftops. To not be ashamed of this gospel for it is the power of God unto salvation. Now now is the time to take up the equipment of the Holy Ghost, to be anointed with fresh oil, to not stay quiet and keep to the closet. Everybody's coming out of the closet. The church is going into the closet. Now's the time for the bold church, not this Laodicean church that's lukewarm, but the church that is on fire, a glorious bride without spot or wrinkle, to rise up and take her place on the earth, to have one more herald, one more clarion call, one more proclamation. Jesus said, in the midst of all these signs, I have a plan for my church. This gospel, this gospel, this gospel of signs and wonders shall be preached in all the world. Hallelujah. And then the earth shall come. Then the, the end shall come. The Bible says of Samson, who is like a type of the church from Acts 2 to now. He was anointed. He did, did mighty great exploits. But then he lost the anointing. He lost the anointing. He ended up uh, committing adultery. He ended up sleeping with Delilah. He ended up telling Delilah his trick. He forfeited the anointing. But then remember when the Philistines captured him and gouged his eyes out? Gouged his eyes out? 
and captured him and tied him to those pillars, he cried out one last time. He said, Father, he said, God, give me one more victory. Give me one more victory. I don't want to go out cheap and death and emaciated. Give me one more victory to your glory. And the Bible says the Spirit of God came upon him as of old, and in his death, he killed more Philistines than in his entire lifetime. That's what God's going to do in this last time army hallelujah in our exodus in our departure from this earth before that happens we will win more souls to the lord than in the entire history of the church in one generation we'll see more people turn to christ get baptized in the holy ghost be restored and healed than the entirety of the history of the church and you're gonna be a part of it you're not gonna sit on the sideline criticizing everybody oh i don't like the way he does evangelism well i would have done it differently Everybody wants to criticize how everybody else is doing things. Meanwhile, you ain't doing anything. You got to get in. You can't dip your feet in this thing. You got to put yourself, dip yourself, drown yourself in the river of God and get to work. Because night comes when no man can, can work. I want to play a clip. From my mentor, evangelist Tiff Shuttlesworth, and I, I was listening to this yesterday, and I, it's so powerful. I need you to listen to this. This is talking about the Antichrist, and it's going to fire you up because it fired me up. Listen to this. I'll, I'll be with you on the other end of this clip. It's about a four-minute clip. Satan has never originated anything but sin. How many heard what I just said? Satan has never originated anything but sin. And everything that has been replicated after that is an inferior counterfeit. But the Antichrist, though he will deceive the world with the quality of his counterfeiting, he is, according to Bible prophecy of all human beings ever born, the master counterfeiter. For 6,000 years, Satan has tried to counterfeit the works of God. And so it will be with the Antichrist. The Antichrist will not only try to counterfeit the true Christ, but will even try to pass himself off as the Son of God. Let me give you some examples. Christ had miracles, signs, and wonders. The Antichrist will have counterfeit miracles, signs, and wonders. Christ will appear in the millennial temple, but the Antichrist will sit in the tribulation temple. Christ is God. The Antichrist will claim to be God. Christ is called in the Bible, the Lion of Judah. The Bible said in Revelation 13 and 2 that the Antichrist has a mouth like a lion. Christ made a peace covenant with Israel. The Antichrist will make a counterfeit peace treaty with Israel.
Christ causes men to worship God. The Antichrist causes men to worship Satan. Christ's tribulation followers will be sealed with a mark on their foreheads. As you'll learn in greater detail tomorrow night when I preach on the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast is not the original. The original mark is from God as he marks tribulation saints with a mark on their forehead. But the Bible said that the Antichrist will take the mark and put it upon the forehead or the right hands of his followers. Christ has a worthy name. The Antichrist has blasphemous names. Christ is married to a virtuous bride. The Antichrist will be married to a vile prostitute. Jesus Christ sits on a throne. The Antichrist will establish a throne and sit upon it. Christ has a sharp sword from his mouth. The Antichrist has an inferior bow in his hand. Christ will ride on a white horse. The Antichrist will ride on a white horse. Christ has an army. The Antichrist will have a one world army. Christ suffered a violent death. The Antichrist the Bible tells us in Revelation will suffer a violent death by head wound. The Bible tells me that Christ was resurrected. The Antichrist will have a counterfeit resurrection. Christ has a second coming. The Antichrist has a second coming. Christ has a 1,000 year worldwide kingdom. The Antichrist is going to pull off a three and a half year worldwide kingdom. Christ is is a part of a holy trinity, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But the Antichrist has an unholy trinity, sent Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. Christ is crowned with untold crowns. The Antichrist is going to pull off ten crowns. Christ is the King of kings and the Lord of lords. The Antichrist will call himself king. He is a counterfeited best. I have no fear of his coming. I am not worried about the coming of the Antichrist because my heart is focused and fixed upon the coming of Jesus Christ. I'm not worried about what's going to happen in this world because I know who has the whole world in his hands and I've made peace with God and I'm ready to go. How about you? Hallelujah. Hallelujah. I hope you enjoyed that video because it's a, a clear depiction of what the Antichrist will come to do and how he's just a big counterfeit. He's a big counterfeit. He, he's, there's nothing original in hell. Everything he does is a mimic of what God has already done in Christ. So after receiving all of this, and no, you know, if you're still confused as to what time we're living in, given everything I talked about, I mean... Going back to the mark of the beast, I said all the technology that's needed uh, to, to implement that type of system where no man would be able to buy or sell. Right now, if they were to put, if the mark of the beast was an RFID chip and they put it in people's hands or in their head, which they can. Matter of fact, I actually looked into it. If you don't have hands, because some people don't have hands, that's where they'll put it. They'll, the next place to put it is in their forehead. So if that were the mark of the beast... Um, not the chip itself, obviously. 
the chip itself, you know, like people in Sweden already using it for their business and whatnot. They're, they're not, they haven't accepted the mark of the beast just because their work made them get a chip to check in and whatnot. I probably would have left jobs because I just don't like anything coming into my body. But at the same time, they're not, they're not, they've not accepted the mark of the beast. The mark of the beast, like I said before, is a willful, conscious this, a rejection of Christ that you'll have to do in order to receive this. But let's say it was the RFID chip. Let's say the rapture hasn't happened yet. Government ordered everyone to get a chip. And it would be totally unconstitutional, but just entertain me for a second. And all, we all have to receive chips or, or else they would have no way to... Um, uh, to, to, to go to grocery stores, we'd have no way to buy things, we'd have no, like, that is all possible now. They can put a chip in you with your bank account information, with your health, rec health records, with everything. And at, the, at the, the click of a button, they can freeze your bank account. You don't think? Why do you think there's this push to get off paper money? Because if everything's digital, they can freeze your account. There's no cash flow. You can't pay cash and just live off somewhere randomly and still have uh, buying power, purchasing power. If you, if you still have cash money, you have pur purchasing power and it's untraceable. With this now, with digital records, it's, it's, it's totally traceable and they can freeze your account. And so the, that's why the Bible says, unless you receive a mark, they'll freeze your account. You won't be able to buy or sell. All of that technology is here on the earth today. That's why I'm saying we're not in the last days. We're not in the last last few hours we are in the last minutes of the end times and so what should we be doing what should be our plan of action another reason why i believe and this is just coming to my heart right now but another reason why i believe that we um as the church are going to be caught up in the rapture seven years before the second coming and that's when the great tri tribulation will occur is because if you study revelation the book of revelation in its totality revelation one to three the church is mentioned constantly. Talks about the church ages, talks about the church of Smyrna, Laodicea, Philadelphia, Pergamon, and all that. And uh, Jesus is, re is rebuking different churches and telling them what they need to correct and adjust in their, in their own, um, in, in their organization. Revelation 4, 1, John says, I heard a voice come from heaven and a window was open and I heard him say, come up hither. After Revelation 4, 1, there's not a mention of the church until Revelation 22, where all, this, all things are made new. And the Bible says, uh, righteousness and justice now reign on the earth. A new heaven and a new earth, a new Jerusalem coming. So from during the entire tribulation, there's not one mention of the church. Why is that? Anytime God said the church is going to go through something, he always, but the church was still going to be on the earth during that thing, he always gave a plan of action for the church. He never left the church without something to do. I mean, even in, in, uh, when he talks about his remnant in Isaiah and in Jeremiah, he talks about you know, how Israel was going to be taken away captive to Babylonian captivity. But he says, yet I will reserve a remnant. He talks about the remnant. Then he says what the remnant will do. So anytime he said the church was going to go through something or the earth was going to go through something, he always gave a task, an assignment, a mission to the church. But from Revelation 4 to the end, when it talks about the tribulation and the vials of God's wrath being poured out, there's not one mention of the church. But now that we're still here in the flesh, on this earth, the rapture hasn't happened, what should we be doing? Number one, I'm going to give you four things to do and then we're going to pray. And then Thursday... 
Tune in because I'm preaching on the baptism in the Holy Ghost on Thursday. I felt that as we were watching that, that video. We're going to preach on the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And if you've never been baptized in the Holy Ghost, you're going to get filled with the Spirit. You're going to speak with tongues. And you're going to receive power to be, become an effective witness on the earth. If you've already been filled with the Holy Spirit, but you've been weary, you've, you've grown fatigued, there's something you, you know you're not... You don't carry a victory spirit. You'll get refreshed. A fresh baptism. Fresh oil shall overflow. You shall be anointed with fresh oil and your cup's going to run over. So tune in Thursday, 1 p.m. Eastern time for that. What should we be doing? Number one, 2 Peter chapter 3 tells us very in very clear terms what we should be doing seeing the day of the Lord approaching. 2 Peter chapter 3. But the day of the Lord will come as a thief in the night in which the heavens will pass away with a great noise. And the elements will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are in it will be burnt up. You think all those nuclear warheads that Russia and Iran and America has is for nothing? No. Those are all going to be used. North Korea parading their missile. All of that's going to be used. Zechariah says that the, the war of Armageddon is going to be so fierce that a fire will consume people in a, such, a quick, such a quick manner that their eye sockets will be melted in like the twinkling of an eye, just like a, a and the eyes in their eye sockets will be melted, and all of a sudden, it'll just be bones standing. Zechariah prophesied of that. What do you think, how do you think nuclear bombs, what happens when a nuclear bomb's detonated? It just, it wipes out everything, no matter, depending on how big it is, in a, a several mile radius, I don't know how many miles he can get to. I'm not like a nuclear specialist. But the moment that that explosion hits your skin, it, it, it disintegrates your flesh, your blood, and your sockets will rot within. The Bible says in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, the heavens will pass away, the elements will, will melt with fervent heat. Both the earth and the works that are on it will be burnt up. Therefore, verse 11, since all these things will be dissolved, what manner of persons ought you to be in holy conduct and in godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, because of which the heavens will be dissolved, being on fire, and the elements will melt away with fervent heat. So we, according to his promise, look for a new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. If there was ever a time to get right with God, to get rid of sin before sin gets rid of you, it's now. Don't flirt with iniquity. Depart from iniquity. 2 Corinthians 6 says, come out from the unclean thing. Turn away from the things of this world and I'll receive you to myself and you shall be sons and daughters to me. Revelation chapter 3 says this. Revelation chapter 3. Jesus talking to one of the churches. Indeed, I'll make those of the synagogue of Satan who say they are Jews but are not. Indeed, I'll make them come and worship before your feet to know that I have loved you. Verse 10, Revelation 3.10. Because you have kept my command to persevere, I will also keep you from the hour of trial which will come on the whole earth, the whole world to test those who dwell on the earth. Jesus said because you have persevered in holiness, because you didn't buy in to the... This new wave of weak, hyper-grace Christianity. Do whatever you want. God knows your heart. That doctrine will send you to hell. Any doctrine that makes you comfortable with sin 
is a doctrine birthed in hell. This is why I said prophecy is not to scare you. Prophecy is to prepare you, to make sure that your lamps are trimmed and they're kept burning. Matthew 25, 10 virgins, five foolish, five wise, five maintained the fire on the altar. Five said, we're not gonna, we're not gonna, uh, we're not gonna fall into sin. Five said, we're gonna pray always so that we don't enter into temptation. Five others fell asleep, took their hand off the plow. Oh, the Lord will understand if I do. They had a weak position towards sin. You should hate sin with every fiber of your being. Should disgust you. Should be abhorrent to you. You know, loving God means lo loving Him and loving what He loves. And it means hating what He hates. And the Bible says wickedness is an abomination to the eyes of God. You see abortion clinics rising, and you just, well, Bible says. Bible says in the, in the last days, these things would happen. You should actively be praying against that type of thing. David said, I hate those that hate you, and I loathe those that rise up against you. David said, because I've set my love on God, I don't set any wicked thing before my eyes. What are you tolerating in your home? Tolerating sin is just as bad as indulging in sin. Jesus said, if your right eye causes you to sin, doesn't say just close it. Pluck it out. Carve it from yourself and cast it far from you. Make sure it's nowhere near you. Don't live a life that may, puts you in a position where it's easy to sin. Make it hard to sin. Live a life where it's almost impossible to sin. First of all, stop giving excuses. I just can't stop. The Bible says sin shall no longer have dominion over you. That you should obey it in its lust. You've been cleansed from, not just forgiven of sin, cleansed from unrighteousness. The sin nature that was in you, Christ has extracted it from you. That We no longer walk according to the flesh. We no longer have the desires to do the things that please our flesh. We have, if you're saved, the Spirit of God lives in you. The fruit of the Spirit becomes evident. You will love. You will be. I'm not saying you'll never make a mistake another day in your life. But there should be a drive in you that I, I'm not practicing those things. I'm not tolerating those things. Whenever you do sin, there should be something in you that says, there's alarms going off. That's wrong. That's not right. Shouldn't do that. Don't do it again. Go and sin no more. Now's not a time to be sleeping with someone who's not your boyfriend. Uh, not your, not your boyfriend. That's not your husband. That's not your wife. Now's not the time to be going to parties and drinking around and, oh, uh, you know, now's not the time to be drinking any alcohol as long as I don't get drunk. Why risk it? Why do something? First of all, if you know alcohol, and I used to drink, I don't drink anymore. Bible says it's not for kings to drink wine nor for princes intoxicating drink. And the Bible says he's made us kings and princes. Princes unto our God and Savior. So if it's not for kings to drink wine, and God made me a king in his kingdom, I'm, I'm not going to drink it. I'm not going to touch it. Then furthermore, alcohol amplifies the flesh. Well, when I drink whiskey, man, it just takes the... I, just like, I just get angry. Oh, you don't want to get him drunk. He, he's an angry drunk. Oh, you don't want to get that guy drunk. He just sleeps with anything that breathes after he gets... What do you think? 
Because alcohol amplifies the desires of the flesh. If you're an angry person then, when you get drunk, you'll be an angrier person. If you're a lustful person then, if you drink alcohol, why would you want to do with, why would you want to put that to your tongue? Something that potentially will amplify unholy desires in you. Instead, do the up. That's why the Bible says, Paul told Timothy, you should flee youthful lust. Flee. Not casually walk away from. Flee youthful lust and pursue. So a lot of churches preach on fleeing youthful lust. We shouldn't sin. We shouldn't. Yeah, but you still have time on your hands. If you aren't sinning, you got to replace it with something. So it says not only flee youthful lust, but now you should pursue Pursue righteousness, pursue faith, pursue love with those who call on the name of the Lord from a pure heart. The Bible says in 1 John 3, let me, let me read this. 1 John chapter 3 and verse 3, verse 2, Beloved, now we are the children of God, and it has not yet been revealed what we shall be. But we know that when he is revealed in the clouds, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. Verse 3, and everyone who has this hope in him, what's the hope? That Christ will return in the clouds, will meet him, and will be like he is. We will be transformed. This corruptible will put on incorruptible. This mortal will put on immortality. And everyone who has this hope in him purifies himself just as he is pure. So that's something you have to do. Purifies himself, not God purifying purifies himself romans 8 says by the spirit we are to put to death the deeds of the flesh and do the deeds of the spirit by the spirit we're not debtors to the flesh to do the deeds of the flesh but by the spirit we're to put to death the deeds of the flesh the bible says put away from yourself all lying and malice and and corruption put away from yourself disconnect it from you create an environment of holiness in your home don't have Shakira talking about her hips not lying. Don't have Beyonce. Out. You don't know how they produce that music. I know. They're not, in a, uh, they're not listening. They're not reading the Bible and coming up with lyrics for those things. Those lyrics to... I'm not saying all secular, but a lot of the secular music you hear on the radio and some of you have in your iPods are perverting your mind to think like this world and in even if you don't think it it's injecting in you de demonic wisdom put away from yourself set nothing wicked before your eyes set nothing wicked before your ears you can't control obviously everything you hear but if you're flipping the television today and all of a sudden you you know just vile show comes on that doesn't glorify God or edify your spirit. You don't have, you know, there's something called a remote. You can change the channel. Learn to take, to be disciplined. Learn, Paul himself, the apostle who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, said, I discipline my body. I bring it into subjection to my spirit, lest I should be disqualified. So if you think one saved, all these saved, at the end of time, you know, I, I prayed that prayer at that altar, so I'm saved, doesn't matter what. I, you're greatly deceived. Jesus said you're to keep your eye single and your whole body will be filled with light. But if your eye is not single, if you're a lukewarm, in the, uh, apathetic, tossed to and fro by every wind of doctrine, your eye will be full of darkness and your body as a result full of darkness. Number one, live holy. Number two, get busy winning the lost. 
Matthew 25, 14 to 30, talks about Jesus giving uh, talents to three people. One five, the other two, and the other one. Five went to make five other more talents. The other one that had two made two more talents. The other one that had one went and buried what he had. He didn't do anything to advance the master's plan. And when Jesus returned, he said, what have you brought forth? Five said, I brought five more. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The two brought two more. Well done, good and faithful servant. Enter into the joy of the Lord. The one said, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping what you've not sowed, cultivating where you've not even sown a seed. As a result, I went and hid your, your, your talent in the ground so that at your coming, here it is. And Jesus turned to that man. He said, you wicked, unprofitable, lazy servant. If you think soul winning is like uh, the cherry on the top to your Christianity, that like when we have more time, we'll get to it. If you think soul winning is just like a hobby for, a sev for several religious zealots in the body of Christ, you, you have no idea. You don't have the heart of God. Charles Spurgeon used to say, if you are not willing or desiring or zealous for others to be saved, you are not saved yourself. The Bible says, seek ye first the kingdom of God and everything else, his righteousness, and everything else will be added unto you. Our mission, now that we're saved, is not to warm up a church pew on Sunday morning. Our mission is freely you've received, now freely give. Paul said, that which I have received from the Lord, I deliver to you. You've received healing. You've received salvation. You have received this glorious gospel that has produced salvation in your soul. Now you are tasked with a task. Go ye therefore into all the world. Jesus said, I must work while it is yet light, while it is yet day, for night comes when no man can work. Night is coming. One life to live, twill soon be past. Only what's done for Christ will last. What can we do for Christ? How can, we can't repay the debt we owe. We can't, there's no, what Jesus did for us, there's nothing we can do to, to get at, uh, uh, you know, even with him. But there's two things we can do. One, bless the Lord at all times and thank him for everything he's done. And then two, service him. The fire of God is not just for a church service. The fire of God is for service. There's too many people there. Well, brethren, we need the fire of God. For what? So you can shake in your seat? So you can have goosebumps? Ooh, look. God touched me last week. I got goosebumps. And what came of it? Well, I got goosebumps and I felt really good. What came of it? Paul had an encounter with the presence of God. And what happened? What came of it? He was a chosen vessel and was dispatched to bring kings to their knees before Christ. I, Paul, the grace given unto me to become a preacher of the unsearchable riches of Christ. Something came of it. He said, God told me that I should go and turn people from darkness to the power of light, from the power of Satan to the power of God. We have been redeemed from every lawless deed, redeemed and purified to go do works. The Bible says, a people zealous for good works. The Bible says we are to stir up one another unto good works. That's to win the loss at any cost. Jesus said, the laborers are few, but the harvest is plentiful. That harvest hasn't gotten any less plentiful. If anything, it's the most plentiful it's ever been. Like Ronald Reagan, ask not 
what your country can do for you, but ask what you can do for your country. Ask not only what God's kingdom and power can do for you. Ask God, Lord, let that power reside in me so that I can do things to the glory of God and be used by you as an instrument of righteousness in the land. Yes, deep darkness is abounding. The Bible says that where wickedness abounds, there much more shall the grace of God there's too many Christians and there's full services where the pastor comes out and preacher comes out and he just complains. Oh, remember when kids used to respect their parents? Oh, remember when people had respect for the preacher? Oh, yeah, complain. That's all you do is complain. But the fire doesn't just <laughs> allow you to identify the problem. The fire gives you power to change the problem. Wickedness abounds. But there much more shall the grace of God. What's grace Grace is God's power in us to do something about the wickedness that we're facing in this generation. I said it before. We are the restraining force. Whether you know it or not, you're part of the body of Christ. You're part of the restraining force. You're part of the restraining force. Restraining the Antichrist. Restraining the mystery of lawlessness from full fruition. Restraining the devil from establishing his work in our generation. We're not here because Christ is just waiting longer, you know, because he wants us to see what earth is like before we and appreciate so that we'll appreciate heaven more. We're here because there's a mission, there's a mandate, there's a commission, there's a task, there's an assignment. We're not here to warm up a church pew. We're here to occupy until Jesus comes. Number two, get busy winning the loss by the fire of God. Number three. Fight the, what should we be doing? We should be fighting off apathy and indifference. Don't buy in to this like, well, you going to church this weekend? Well, I don't know. My favorite show's on Sunday at 12 and, or like football's on at one and I don't know if I'm going to make it. I don't even know if you'll make heaven, let alone make church that week. Why is it there's such a, a, a loveless attitude that some people have? That's what carnality does. Carnal believers talk like that. The Bible says that if we're lukewarm, Jesus said, I'll spit you out, I'll vomit you out of my mouth. We have to fight off the temptation of buying in, getting lulled to sleep to the North American Christianity where it's like anything goes. God doesn't see what you do. He just sees your heart. The Bible says he'll render unto every man according to his work. That type of thinking produces apathy. That hyper grace, how many of you know, no matter what you do in life, you know, there's songs that they write where it almost, like people sing them and it gives them a, a, a license to sin. There's a song I used to, I used to like it. But then I started listening to the lyrics. And I'm like, whoa, I'm not singing that anymore. It says, even if a, a thousand times I fail, still your mercy remains. I understand what you're trying to say. A thousand times, you know, we've, I'm sure we failed a thousand times in life. Still his mercy does remain. You know, he's not turned his face away from us. He's not abandoned us or forsaken us. But people sing that with like, I can fail again tomorrow because I failed today and a thousand times. He'll be there to forgive me tomorrow. If you have that mindset and that's how you treat the grace of God, you've insulted the spirit of grace and trampled the blood of Jesus Christ under your feet. 
and it no longer it'll no longer be effective for you so the fire of god in these last days is going to put a, a a fervency a zeal in you that'll guard you against apathy and, indif and indifference in hebrews 10 25 neglect not the assembling of ourselves together as is the habit of some first thing that comes when you start to backslide you know, backsliding is not like a sudden event where one day you're living holy, hands lifted in church, and then the next day you're sleeping with a prostitute. Backsliding is like a, a slow, steady leak in a tire. The pressure starts lessening and lessening. You don't even know it yet until suddenly you're riding on your rim and you hear whoom, whoom, whoom as you're driving. People that are backsliding don't even know they're backsliding, but there's ways. There are ways to tell that you're backsliding. There's ways to tell that there's a sleeping spirit in you. That you're not, you've not been awakened. There's ways to tell. You, start, you started off in the front row of the church, now you're in the fifth row, and then all of a sudden you're in the last row. Then you're no longer even going to every service, one every two weeks, then finally once a month, and then all of a sudden you, have, you haven't been to church in three months, you watch online. What would we watch online? You know, the church is, the church is in our heart. Church is not a gathering of the people. Do you hear yourself? The very word church is ecclesia, which means gathering of the people. How could you say the church is not a gathering of the people? I mean, you should hear the way lukewarm people talk. But you know what? The fire of God that's going to come on you today is going to guard you and protect you from ever falling into that category of lifeless, dried up, parched believers in Jesus' name. Number four, what should we be doing? And it ties into number three is keep your lamps burning. Keep your lamps burning. The Bible says we should walk as children of light in this wicked and adulterous uh, generation among whom we shine. You are the light of this world. And God's not the one that is responsible for maintaining your lamp and the fire on, that, on your altar. You are the one responsible for maintaining the fire on your altar. And the way you do that is by what you're doing right now. When you're listening to preaching like this, there's something going on. Even if you don't see it or feel it, something's changing on the inside of you. You do it by praying. The Bible says, pray always that you may be counted worthy to escape the things that are coming on this earth. You maintain that fire on your altar by praying always without ceasing. Pray at all times. Paul said, I make mention of you in prayers day and night. Should take time day and night. And as you do, you're kindling the coals of fire on your altar. It's stale, stagnant coals that don't ever move, that lose heat and end up going out. But the good news is, if that's you, you've lost heat. Maybe you don't carry the fire you used to have. Maybe you don't have your lamp burning today. God's not angry at you. The Bible says, a bruised weed he will not break, and a smoldering wick he'll not snuff out. God's not going to blow you out. God's not come. You've not been drawn to this broadcast only for you to hear this message of condemnation that you've not been living right, and now God's going to snuff out the lampstand. He's removing the lamp. No, the very reason you're on this broadcast today. Maybe you have lived a lukewarm life, but the Bible says, as many as I love, I rebuke. Therefore, be zealous and repent. God's not only called you to repent, but God's going to give you a fire to bear 
bear fruit worthy of repentance, that you'll no longer live a lukewarm, apathetic, indifferent life, but you'll live a life of fire-filled supernatural Christianity that like David, I was glad when they said, let us go to the house of the Lord. Like David, when he said, the Lord is my shepherd, I'm not going to lack anything. I'm going to follow him all the days of my life. Like um, Paul said, according to the way that they call a heresy, so worship I the God of my fathers. According to the way that they call extreme, we've had enough casual Christians. It's time for the extreme Christians, the radical Christians, to rise up in this day and this hour. Hallelujah. In the name of Jesus, I'm praying for you right now, you who are watching this broadcast, live and those on the replay. Fresh fire falls on you right now. From the top of your head to the soles of your feet. You shall be anointed with fresh oil. You're going to have the mighty Russian wind blow and come behind your back in the name of Jesus. In Jesus' name. In Jesus' name. You're not going to be carried away with this generation. There's going to be a backbone in you that's going to cause you to stand no matter the direction our generation takes. Like a Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the midst of a, of a nation and generation given over to idolatry and harlotry. The Bible says when they were faced with that burning fiery furnace, they said, we'll never bow. God's going to strengthen your backbone never to bow to the pressures and the demands that are in this world today. More than ever, people are, things demand our attention and our time and our focus. More than ever, we need to keep a firm watch on ourselves to make sure we're not carried away, that we don't love the things of this world, nor the, nor the uh, for all that is in the world, the lust of the eyes, the lust of the flesh, the boastful pride of life is not of the Father, it's of the world. But whoever does the will of God shall abide forever. More than ever, more than ever, we need to keep a firm check on us, on our spirits. More than ever, we need to examine ourselves daily and to see whether we live or whether we're in the faith. In the name of Jesus Christ. You'll not fall under the category of believers that are carnal. You will be a spiritual believer that is awakened and like the sons of Issachar. Understand the times that we're living in. And act accordingly. The Bible says, knowing the days are evil, we are to what? Walk circumspectly. We are to walk wisely, not as fools. Knowing the will of the Lord, we should, the Bible says, walk as children of light. Not as children of darkness. Those who get drunk, they drink at night. Those who, 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 who do wickedness, they do it at night. But we are children of the day and children of light. And we put on the armor of God. The Bible says, that we are to keep our waists girded and our lamps burning. Waist girded, the belt of truth. Keep the word of God always on your tongue and keep your lamps burning. Day in and day out. Let the prayer incense on your altar never, never give up. Offer yourself up as a living holy sacrifice unto God today. Don't be conformed to the patterns of this world, but be transformed like the word says. You can prove to this generation what is God's perfect will. 
And that'll be your story in the name of Jesus. For everyone watching, if you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, or maybe you have, but you've fallen away, you're no longer living right. You've turned away from, uh, from, from living a, a hot Christianity. You're part of what I said today, a lukewarm Christianity, where you're kind of like complacent. You've kind of let your feet drag. The Bible says, strengthen the hands that hang limp and the feeble knees and make straight paths for yourselves. So that what is dislocated may not be broken, but rather healed. Today's the day to get back on the bandwagon of God. Today's the day that you settle your account. That you turn away from lukewarmness. That you turn away from sin forever. Today's the day where you can put your head to the pillow tonight. And rest at peace knowing I've settled my account with God. Not because of any works I've done, but because of the blood of Jesus that washes and purges us of all sins. If that's you today, and you'd like to, not you'd like to, you need to. You need to get saved. Pray this prayer with me. Say, Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you, and I believe that you raised Jesus from the dead. I confessed that Jesus is Lord and Savior of my life. I turn and repent of my sin. I turn to you today. Fill me with your spirit where I was weak. Make me strong. Father, guarantee by your grace give me power that the oil never runs dry, that it would ever be fresh that I would never fall back into my old ways and lifestyle. But from today, Lord, I would move on. That my, The fire would only intensify day by day. In Jesus' name, amen. Stay connected with us by visiting us on Twitter, Instagram, or Facebook by searching at TJ Malkanji. Or visit us online, www.salvationnow.ca. God bless you, and until next time.